It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson. And me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix... From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of Howard Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is a big day for the BBC as we prepare uh, to have more revelations from the land of the very expensive. This morning we will discover just how much its top stars are getting paid and whether there are any shocks for the likes of Gary Lineker and John Humphreys when their latest annual report is published around about 11 o'clock this morning. Yesterday, Cliff Richard gave the BBC another going over when he and Paul Gambaccini launched a sex offence anonymity campaign and called for a rebalancing of the legal system after he was hounded by... By police and journalists as a result of being falsely accused of sexual offences and his house was raided live on TV in 2014. He was never arrested or charged and he says he should never have been named either. I think he's got a point. Uh, why should an, any old collection of twisted individuals and fantasists be allowed to besmirch the good name of anyone they like without fear of retribution? Leon Britton and several other high-profile Tory MPs were named as being part of a paedophile ring by a man who told the BBC later that he had simply made the story up. And even Labour Deputy Leader Tom Watson jumped on the bandwagon of allegations as well. Quite frankly, it was all a disgrace, as was the BBC's part in it. It's not going to be a very good day for them, I'm afraid. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll check in with TalkSport's faker others in France, ahead of the England Lionesses' big semi-final game against the USA tonight in the World Cup. And we'll find out just why everyone thinks it's OK to mock older people, because apparently they don't answer back. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Mr Paul Conyu, former newspaper editor, former colleague of mine in America, in Britain, and all sorts of points, west, east, north and south. Uh, very good morning to you, and uh, uh, what a shame we're not working for the BBC, is all I can say. Yes, interesting interesting day for the BBC. It's going to be controversial. I've already done one BBC interview, I've got a couple more to do. Yes, well, look at this. Let's go with the top ten. I'm not going to bother doing a countdown style, but Gary Lineker, number one, uh, last year made one... 1.759 million this year 1.754 so he's dropped uh, about 5,000 quid Chris Evans comes in at number two but of course he's now in our organisation in this very building uh, working for Virgin Graham Norton number three Hugh Edwards Steve Wright Alan Shearer Andrew Marr 
Claudia Winkleman, Zoe Ball, Vanessa Feltz and Jason Muhammad uh, at the bottom of the 10th list, 269, uh, sorry, 359,999. So an extraordinary amount of money being paid to some of these people. Three women, Vanessa Feltz, Zoe Ball and Claudia Winkleman in the top 10, which I think is an improvement um, on last year. But, I mean, really, these are the sorts of sums that a public body should not be paying people, aren't they? I mean, I don't know where you stand on that. Well, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Uh, interestingly, looking for looking ahead to the, I'm sure, to the annual report mm. and anticipating things, um, the director general of the BBC, Tony Hall, gave an interview in which he quoted a 2017 opinion poll, which showed that 78 percent of the public backed the BBC paying high salaries to get top talent, etc. Mm. But I wonder what. That figure would be in the wake of the of the <laughs> over seventy five well, right. means testing of the license fee. I suspect it. I, I suspect it would still favour the BBC, like it or not. But it. But I. I, I would guess the percentages might have come yeah. down more than a touch. I would think so. Yeah, and I mean, there's lots of things the BBC does very well. Um, however, of late, and and particularly during all of the Brexit shenanigans, and I'm not necessarily one who calls the BBC biased in any way, shape, or form, because they get accused by all sides of being biased, which means they must be getting something, something right, right. Something right, something yeah. Something right. But, I mean, certainly when you saw the, the dreadful and ghastly setup for that debate they had, uh, the one that Boris Johnson didn't take part in with the, with the six... Uh, including Rory Stewart, minus Boris Johnson, so there was only really five. That, 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 that was, was, was a comedy was of errors. I mean, it was badly put together, it was badly planned, it was badly executed. The, 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 the people that were ringing in with questions were not properly vetted. You know, I mean, Emily Maitlis had a bad night. I mean, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And when they mess things up to that degree, it's hard to defend them. It is, uh, but but everybody has bad days. I think, I mean, the BBC, you know, had a real uh, stinker of a night, to put it, put it politely. There mm. are stronger words one could use. Emily Maitlis, I felt, I felt a bit sorry for because I thought she was the victim of the disastrous planning setting. Possibly so, and... but she also was, was interrupting the wrong people at the wrong time and was sort of trying to score points rather than letting the, 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 the candidates answer the questions, it seemed to me anyway. Yeah, I think that I think that's true to an extent, but of course, and you, but we've still got, you know, talking politics for one second, we've still got Boris Johnson last night once again skipped the Sky debate with Kay Burley, so it went ahead with you know with uh, Jeremy Hunt alone. I mean, you know that, that that's a disgrace. But I mean, but back back to the main issue of the day, though. I mean, it, it is good to see three women. In the list, I, Claudia Winkleman, I think, is, will be overtaken by Zoe Ball under mm. her new contract because Zoe, Zoe Ball only took over for, well, you know, for the last... It looks here as though they're both on the same amount. Well, they're certainly both in the same category. So it's 370 to 374,999. Um, and they both seem to be, you know, on that same figure. So I guess they'll find out if one of them gets a couple more quid than the other. Yeah, that, there's, and there's also a couple of... Contradiction or rather strange things in there. I mean, for you know, for, you know, for you know, for example, um, some star names whose shows go out through independent production companies yes. don't have the figure included in the BBC figures. Right. Graham, Graham Norton being a prime example, mm. who is high up, pretty high on the list. Well, he's number three with six hundred and fourteen nine nine nine. But that only covers Mike his. Um, 
uh, his Radio 2 show right. and also his Eurovision Song Contest oh, it cover performances. The, 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 the chat show. The, the chat show is made by an independent production company, of which I think he is a partner. Partner, but that the BBC don't have to disclose, uh, you know, right. the income from that. But that's where it becomes problematic, doesn't it? Because once again, we are being given a kind of a false picture, if you like, because what you're basically telling me is that Graham Norton will be making well over a million quid, by the sounds of things, uh, if you add it all together. Yeah, well, and I think that's what people have a problem with, because, you know, look, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm, not, I'm not... I'm sitting here broadcasting. I'm not going to say broadcasters shouldn't be paid a lot of money, but I'm just not sure that the BBC is, in fact... Um, in a position to basically price everybody else out of the market because it makes it very hard. You know, Chris Evans came to work at Virgin uh, through the, the good offices of, of a large media organisation called News UK. Before News UK owned Wireless Group, Wireless could never have afforded to pay him that kind of money to come here. So in the end, you're kind of stuck with the BBC or nothing, you know? I mean, there is some truth in that, Mike, I agree. Uh, but but the, the counter-argument to that, which I'm just being the devil's advocate for a second, is that is that the BBC would lose talent. I mean, I think all is true there. I mean, we've... They've already lost, as you say, Chris Evans, who you know, who is still number two on the list. But obviously, but obviously that's based upon what nine months of the yes, year, right. effectively. Um, they've lost the the brilliant Eddie Mayer, who is a, a major loss loss to them, and 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 some others too. So I think well, it's a it's a catch twenty it's a catch twenty two scenario. Well, know. it is. But the the top line that I'm seeing now, the Telegraph are covering, is that the salary bill overall for its best paid stars has gone up by two million quid so i mean they're not exactly cutting their cloth are they well there was one there was quite an interesting comment ahead of the report coming out but she obviously had a good idea what's coming out of it from the presenter jane garvey who oh, yeah. who you know one of the strong supporters of if you like closing the gender gap yes. but she was suggesting that there should have been bigger bigger cuts to male stars salaries Rather than hefty increases in females, right. so that so that the gap was closed by cutting the men rather than elevating the women. Uh -huh. I mean, that's that's an interesting argument from a woman, but uh, you know, but the, well, that was bad news but, for Jeremy Vine. But mathematically, in there is there would be some sense in that. Mm. Well, Jer Jeremy Vine, John Humphreys, and Steve Wright uh, have taken significant pay cuts, and then, uh, unfortunately for them, many of them were were handed large tax bills by the taxpayer, the tax authorities, who said actually. Um, you owe us a bunch of money because you're only really working for one organisation. And, of course, they then, sort of, I'm sure, said to themselves, well, I'm very sorry I took the pay cut because now I'm going to pay a big well, tax John, bill. Well, that John, that may have been the final clincher in John Humphrey's decision to effectively retire, although I'm not sure he still be, won't be still doing in mastermind. Right. And, of, and, of course, Nicky Campbell has also disappeared mm. from the top ten. Yeah, but several people have appeared on the high earners list who were not there before, including Annie Mack. Radio 1 presenter, Joanna Gosling, newsreader on BBC News and BBC Two, Jane Hill, newsreader on BBC... I'm not sure who any of these people are. Dotton Adebayo, who's the Five Live Overnight presenter, uh, Fiona Bruce from Question Time, of course, Ola Guerin, BBC News correspondent in Cairo... I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. People well, have got well, very, actually, very, all, very highly paid all jobs. Well, is an interesting point because she is a brilliant on-the-road, you know, puts herself yeah, in danger foreign correspondent. Absolutely. And there's an argument that perhaps some of on-the-road 
you know, star journalists, yeah. you know, are, un, are underpaid compared to well, people who sit in front. There is, but then again, well, I bet you, if a, you might be painful for you that Mike sitting in there. But no, <laughs> listen, I've been on the road. I've, you know, I know there are there are there are quirks of, and, and good things about being on the road. For example, you don't spend any of your own money. So I mean, you know, there are many reasons why being on the road is very much more dangerous and very much more sort of you know difficult to do. However, um, unless they're all getting more money, why should she suddenly be getting it just because she's in Cairo? Well. True. I mean, we don't know, do we? That's True, the point. But, but of course, this the whole gender pay gap, of course, erupted, you know, around the the China bureau chief and yes. the fact that she was Who's being on, paid constantly on TV now, despite the fact that she quit the well, BBC well, some months ago. Well, that was the reward, I think, for you know, for um, for taking for taking a stand. Well, I, mean, I mean, it's clearly it's, there's clearly something wrong at the top of the BBC, and and let's let's move on from the actual payment of salaries to what it is that the BBC now does, because quite frankly, an awful lot of people that I talk to on this show and who follow me on Twitter and on social media were aghast at the whole kind of Glastonbury wall-to-wall coverage going on at the weekend and the hundreds and hundreds of people that BBC send out every single year. Now, if you want to go and watch Glastonbury, good luck to you. You know, go and make it as green as you like, take as many plastic bottles as you want, leave as much mess in a tent as you like. But, you know, if you don't want to go, you surely don't want to watch it sort of from dawn to dusk on every single BBC I think BBC you'll find, channel. Mike, so that the figures would be surprisingly good for Glastonbury, which I think is one of the better BBC coverages. But how because... much do they spend on it, though? Well, that's a good. That's that's a good question. That's what I, I'd like to is know. there a breakdown? And I, I haven't yet had a chance to read the, the smaller no. parts of the report. I haven't actually seen if there's actually mm. a costing. I mean, I would for, be I would be astonished if it's, if it's any less than several million quid it because probably. because they are absolutely all over it. The same goes for Wimbledon. The same goes for many. Th- I mean, they've had to stop bidding for the rights to football and certain sporting events because it. They, they, that's not what they're for. The BBC is not supposed to be going up against individual corporate commercial operations for the purposes of showing sport. That's but, not their job. But the argument of, the, of those who support the BBC, and I'm I'm trying to be both a devil's advocate here, here as well, but, but if you looked at that, or, or, admittedly it's a two-year-old report about the support for the BBC among the public, yeah. it, there is the, the other argument, well, if you, if you can't afford or aren't inclined to... Uh, Go to a subscription channel, be it Sky or Netflix or anything else. Then you then you are going to miss out on you know, which is the argument why. And a lot of newspapers are critical of the BBC. We're also at the same time demanding that the crown jewels should be you know should be kept. That's true, and the crown jewels pretty much are kept, although much more whittled down. I mean, you can't now. It's a struggle to watch England rugby on regular television uh, on the BBC. And certainly not certainly. test match cricket. Uh, certainly not test match tricket, or even, cricket. Um, and you've still got the Grand National. Wimbledon is still very much a BBC yeah. enterprise, but they 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 do they spend so much money doing it. And I'm just saying, I suppose that in the future and in the next five to ten years, I was listening to an argument about the the license fee a little while ago. Um, and basically, there will no be no need for a television license. People will not be watching television, if you like, on television. I've I mean, written I've written that quite recently. Yeah. I think the license fee there may be. One more, or perhaps two more, but I don't think there will be the license fee is going to survive in its present form anyway. You know, for much for much longer than one or two more periods. Yes. Well, this is it. I mean, the the whole point of a TV license was that you had this box in the corner of the room, which was a television, which you had to buy. Um, now it's effectively a computer. Uh, it's a smart TV. It's a tablet. It's uh, it's your iPhone or whatever it is you're watching it on, and and it's going to become obsolete to actually physically have a TV license and to physically pay tax to an organisation that pays its stars 
millions and millions of pounds while taking away the free television licence to a 75-year-old. Yeah, but, that, but there you get into that paradox, though, Mike, because, you, because if you like, the traditional way of watching television is among the older gener generations. Yeah which makes, you know, that decision to actually... Which is a dying, the, literally a dying breed. Although I think the Director-General there was rather stitched up by George, by George Osborne. It'll be interesting to see, as Jeremy Hunt... Boris Johnson hasn't yet, uh, for once, given, his, given a pledge on mm. this one, but Jeremy Hunt, of course, has said it, it, it will be restored, yeah. as it's in the, in the 2017 I mean, Tory man manifesto. Paradoxically, it wasn't. But who, but who will be paying, whether it'll be paid by the BBC still yeah. or, or by the government, or, the, or they'll try to work out some compromise, will be yeah. one of the interesting broadcasting just questions think, of the next few months. I just think people will find that if the BBC has been asked to curtail its spending, which it has, and has been asked to kind of uh, clip its wings to some extent and to do less um, uh, uh, sort of outside television interests, for example, the website, the stuff that they do, the numbers of people that work on their website, you know, you might say it's a very good website. Well, it's entitled to be very good because they've got more people working there than anybody else on any other website in the world. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons the BBC, of course, are funding some jobs in local, in local newspapers after a quite a hard-fought battle mm. with you know with with the newspaper yeah, industry quite got, right example, quite rightly so they've got for example I mean, BBC Scotland in Scotland is a joke and I speak with great experience because I, I tried to run a radio station in Scotland uh, which was a speech station and outside of BBC Scotland it's incredibly difficult to do because they basically suck up all the talent uh, they take all of the, the adver uh, there's not advertising revenue out of the situation because nobody cares about advertising and so in the end you know if you go to BBC Sussex BBC Surrey, BBC, Kent. You know, there's three different radio stations in a very, very small part of South East England. No, it'd be, very, required. it'd be very interesting to see another opinion poll, perhaps one in, not carried out by the BBC, although the BBC one was outsourced to, you know, to a obviously a reputable, you know, polling company, but, but to see whether that figure of 78% support for high BBC salaries is any longer the case. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'd be surprised if some enterprising newspaper doesn't commission such a report in the wake of, of, of today's annual report. No, quite. And what about this? I've got a tweet here from somebody called Jason. Can we please have a referendum on the funding of the BBC? Now, I don't know if you want to go down any more referenda routes uh, between now and the end of the century. <laughs> what would the but, question be? Well, what would the yeah. question be, yeah. Well, I presume, do you want to have a pay for a TV licence with the BBC, yes or no? But then we have the arguments about, well, well, yeah, but how much would you want to pay or, in fact, should there be a sliding scale? I mean, for example... Um, I would like to think that you know that the wealthy pensioners who would benefit if he gets if he carries it through if he gets into number ten Boris Johnson's you know um, tax cuts would actually voluntarily not accept even a, even a restored over seventy fives license yeah, fee. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, there are so many tweets coming in and I will read them all out. I will get to them all, but I'd like to take some calls on this as well. 0344 499 1000. Surely, uh, what we need to see, and I'm going to put this right out there for the audience to tell me, we need to see a timetable uh, of a running down of the, of, the, of the TV license. If it's not going to happen in the next five years, we need a date from the BBC as and when uh, they can come up with one to say that as of, I don't know, 2025, there will no longer be a television But it won't license. be in their gift alone, of course. It'll have to be a government. It uh, will have know, to be deal. a government, yeah. But, but, I mean, it's time to start talking about that, I think. And it's time to start talking about funding the BBC in a different way because there's no reason why they can't have a pay-per-view situation. There's no reason why you can't watch the iPlayer and pay a small subscription every month if you wish to. But, I mean, the idea that any time you buy any kind of television-style equipment, you get a nasty note 
either through the post or uh, you get an email from uh, the TV licensing people basically threatening you, uh, saying, have you got a TV licence? Well, get lost. Yes, I have. You know, and stop bothering me just because I bought another, you know, set-top box. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just a bit wound up about this. Yes. Paul, thank you very much indeed. Paul Conyu there uh, with his view uh, on what is going on inside the BBC. They have actually spent £2 million more on their top staff and their top stars than they did the previous year. It's incredible, isn't it? This is Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I was going to say the music's been quite good today, but, uh, you know... I suppose there's always one um, ball that gets dropped. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Con is, in fact, back today, though, because he got a lot of stick yesterday. I don't know if you know that. Um, he got a lot of stick about his musical taste because the music was very good yesterday, we were told, by lots of people. But anyway, uh, that's a terrible song. I hope I never have to hear it ever again. Uh, currently, we are watching here on uh, uh, the screens at Talk Radio uh, the hustings taking place over in Belfast. It's chaired by Ian Dale once again. Jeremy Hunt is there. We're going to come to your calls in a second. 0344 499 uh, Let's have a listen and see what's going on. This last night on, on Sky News, actually, and I said that uh, I'm someone who's never had to fight for my freedom. My dad was in the Navy, and... Uh, Thanks to the service of his generation, we won the Cold War. So they knew what it was like uh, to put their lives on the line for the values that we believe in. Uh, China is a very, very important country. Um, we can't stop its growth, and we shouldn't want to, because they're lifting a lot of people out of poverty, and it's a, it's a huge success story. And of course, we want to benefit from trading opportunities with China, and we wish them well but we can never compromise on our values. And the first time I met the Chinese foreign minister last August, uh, Hong Kong was one of the issues that I raised with him. And I'm afraid since then things have got worse and I gave a statement to the media this morning in which I said that none of us support the violence that we saw on TV last night. But we do understand the reason for people's anger and the reason for people's fears that their basic freedoms are going to be taken away. And so the way to address this issue is not by... So Jeremy Hunt there talking about Hong Kong. Um, I suppose it sounds to me then as though since he met up with the Chinese, uh, they've decided to completely ignore anything that he said. Well done, Jeremy. Let's talk to Nigel in Temple Fortune. Hi, Nigel. Good morning or good afternoon. Hope you're well. Yeah, very um, well indeed. How's it going? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. I rang you about the BBC and also about travel. Uh, I'll go with travel first. Um, if you travel to the US, you have to pay $14 yes. every two years for your Esther form, unless you have a visa. Right. So, uh, and, but that is not just for, 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 for revenue raising. It's to check the authenticity, the security, and the validity of the person who wants to travel to the US. Yeah. So 
I think we should have something like, like that here. If people want to come to our wonderful, green and pleasant land, why don't we have a, a similar scheme which can check the validity, the authenticity and, of course, the security of the person who wants, who wants to come here? Well, you'd like to think that we have that anyway, but, I mean, I don't necessarily want to get involved in having sort of complicated visa applications to do. However, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a sort of £5 or £10 charge at the airport whenever they fly in. Well, yeah, but, but but that would be every so often. I just think have have a two year permit if you want to come to our country. You have to apply, and 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 as I say, that that whatever it would 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 cost would, would allow you to to travel. It allows someone's background and antecedents to be checked. I think that's really important. But because yeah. in, in, in moving time at the moment, we know that. Uh, this country isn't as safe as once it was maybe decades and decades ago. That's uh, true. But unfortunately, in it's in danger from an awful lot of people who are already here. That's the, that's part of the problem, that's though. That's also very... Yeah, that's also very yeah. true. Maybe, maybe, we, should, maybe we, should, we should charge them when they want to go away on holiday, you know. Yeah, maybe. But um, in, in relation to the BBC, I think the BBC is rather a hypocritical organisation. And the reason I say that is this. It funds, or should I say, it commissions lots of private production companies to produce programs, yes. which indeed it then sells. So it earns revenue from those sales. So why should I have to pay extra as a licensed player when it, all, when it already generates lots and lots of cash from those programs? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think uh, people will be outraged, and particularly when we were going through the figures here uh, with Graham Norton making somewhere like 615 grand a year, not including the amount of money that gets paid to his production company for the chat show that he does on a Saturday night. I mean, that's got to be at least another 600,000. So he's, he's into sort of 1.2 million territory. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Of course, it's the same thing. With it. It, lots of shows are like that. And uh, I, I really think that um, if the BBC wishes to survive, why can't it survive at a commercial marketplace and see how strong it really is? I, I think if it isn't that strong, it will flounder. Yeah. And people go, oh, the BBC, the BBC... Uh, plum in your throat, bow ties and dinner jackets of, 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 of yesteryear. Well, that's as maybe, but yesteryear is no longer here. We live in a commercial marketplace. Yeah, we do. Absolutely right. Nigel, thank you very much indeed. Great call. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Myrtle, uh, who is in Bournemouth. Hello, Myrtle. Hello, Graham. Mike. Mike, sorry. Me. That's okay. Call me yeah, Mike. That's fine. First... Don't worry. What would you like to say? I'm a first-time caller, so well, you welcome. can tell I'm nervous. No, don't be nervous. <laughs> welcome. Listen, welcome. And I'm not going to mock you either, even though Jeremy Paxman says I can. Yeah. Oh, really? Because I'm old, yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, my gripe today is the BBC and the uh, licence fee. Yes. Because I'll be 75 next year, right. and that's so I just miss out. And the thing is, we've got Sky. So we pay £50 a month for Sky. Mm. And and um, all the rest, and we still have to pay for a licence to the BBC. Yeah, even if you don't watch it, which is crazy, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. We get BBC. So, you know, we can get the BBC through Sky, can't we? Yeah, you can, but you, but if you look at it, right, it's the same as you can look at it on a computer without ever having to have a TV at all. Why should you have to pay them a, a TV licence fee? Exactly, yeah, mm. that's my... OK, well, let's hope that somebody comes to your aid and decides that you don't have to pay for it. It's 154 quid, I think it is now. It's quite a lot of money for a lot of people, particularly those who are on fixed incomes. Let's talk to Ray, who's in crew. Hello, Ray. Good afternoon, Mike. Afternoon, afternoon. sir. What would you like yeah, to say? Uh, OK, 
again, my complaints about the BBC, really. And, and yeah. Lineker, you know, the wages that Lineker's on. Yeah. What value does he actually add? Do you watch Match of the Day because Lineker's on? No, absolutely not. Of the football, don't you? Of course. You and also, quite football. often, do you know what? Quite often, I'll watch it on the Sunday night just because it's, it suits me better than on Saturday. And he's not on it on yeah. Sunday night because he doesn't work on Sundays. It makes no difference <laughs> to me. So, you know, in all honesty, what, what, how does he just... He's not an entertainer, he's not a, a comedian, he's not a great song singer-songwriter. No. He doesn't add that. So I, I just don't understand how they justify that amount of money. Now, I used to be a season ticket at Sir Alexander. I used to... I didn't need a pundit. I right. needed a lot of alcohol before I went, you know, <laughs> but I didn't need a pundit right. but to, to tell me what was actually going on in the football field. You know, it's the same with... Uh, if you take Strictly Come Down, if you ever watch it, Claudia Winkleman just tells daft jokes. Yeah. People don't watch, you know, they don't watch Strictly because Claudia's on it. They watch it for the dancing. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I realise you have to have a presenter, but how many presenters do they need on, on a programme? So and how much? And also, how much do you have to pay them? I mean, Claudia Winkleman's making 375 grand a year. That's a lot yeah, of money. Telling a few daft jokes. Yeah. You know, she, she's not even amusing. Well, I mean, she's not even writing the jokes, to be honest. So, I mean, it's not really her fault. But, you know, I, I get your point, Ray. Listen, thank you very much uh, indeed for calling in. So many of you are so annoyed about what is going on at the BBC because it is sort of, you know, it's our money. It's not their money. 93% of you say it's time to abolish the BBC licence. Uh, you've got about 14 minutes left to vote. But, I mean, it's obviously a complete and utter whitewash. Steve says, how about, uh, rather than Lineker bashing, even though he deserves it, what about the 400,000-plus to Alan Shearer? What does he do? <laughs> Well, Alan Shearer, um, I suppose uh, a lot of people dislike for one reason or another because he was quite a, an aggressive footballer, but he was a great footballer. Um, I, I don't mind Alan Shearer, but again, it's an awful lot of money, isn't it? I'm not quite sure why we have to pay them quite so much, but the BBC insists that they have to pay sort of what can be described as commercial rates. Well, really? They're not commercial rates in every part of the organisations that I've worked for. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, Jeremy Paxman's never really been the same since he left the BBC. I'm sure he'd love to be on their top ten list of most well-paid individuals. However, uh, he sort of disappeared off to Channel 4 for a while and didn't really do as well, perhaps, as he ought to have done. But he's now saying, uh, basically, uh, the former Newsnight presenter, uh, that snowflakes have made it so difficult now to, uh, to have a go at them that the only people left to have a go at and who will accept it in good order are pensioners. Pensioners might as well walk about with a sign pinned to their backs, he says, saying, kick me. They are fair game because they do not bite back. This contract contrasts with some sectors of society, the cops, the legal system, the young, the dim and the gifted, all of whom cannot be mocked. Let's talk to John McEntee uh, from the Daily Mail and find out uh, whether he finds himself uh, discriminated against. Not that I'm suggesting for a moment, John, that you're in any way elderly. <laughs> How are you? I'm, going, no, I'm fine, thanks. Nice to hear from you, Mike. Yes. By the way, do I need a passport to enter the Republic or is it okay? Well, you know, a man of your means and, uh, and <laughs> intellect gets free passage and doesn't even have to pay. <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, it was good to talk to you. Yes, absolutely. So, it's, it's worth making a point that poor old Paxo was an old age pensioner. I mean, well, he is. I mean, he's a, he's a very fine man. He's, he's at Bizarrely. He used to be very good friends with a, a guy that you might remember called Don Mackay, who was a legendary oh, sort of... Don Mackay, Yeah, of legendary yeah. Fleet Street figure and two very unlikely characters to be friends, but they were great friends. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'll tell you a, a, a story you might remember about him. Do you, do you remember a couple of years ago, I think he may still have been on on uh, Newsnight, and mm. 
he wrote to the head of M. Martin Spencer's, Stuart Rose, about um, the gussets and underpants, complaining about they were very <laughs> uncomfortable. Right. Anyway, the, um, uh, I think he was highly embarrassed when, when the correspondence was made, made public. And I went to, to an, uh, an oldie lunch, appropriately enough, where he was speaking. And, of course, normally you get up and, uh, on your hind legs when you're VUCA and you spout. But Paxo insisted that he would, um, he would only answer questions from the old fogies in, uh, in <laughs> Simpsons in the Strand. Right. Anyway, um, I, I was sort of reasonably well refreshed, and I put my hand up and asked him if he ever got a reply from Stuart Rose about the gossip of the underpants. <laughs> and he turned around and said, you're not a member of the public. I know who you are. You're a journalist. <laughs> right. And refused to answer the question. Oh, dear. So, you know, he's a bit of a snowflake when it comes to answering questions about his own underpants. And yes, and, well, uh, I mean, yeah, exactly right. And also, what sort of a person writes letters to the head of an organisation like Marks and Spencer's <laughs> about something like that? But he does make a... a point which is which is well made i think that there are people of our generation who are quite simply um have been schooled for years and decades certainly in my case since i was a boy yeah in sitting around a dinner table arguing with your father and your mother and arguing with your sisters yeah. arguing with the family arguing is now uh, a lost art it seems to me amongst the young well indeed i think but also to everybody's uh, uh, sort of um out of bounds. I mean, you can't make jokes about anything anymore. I mean, certainly you can't make jokes about paddies, which I don't mind. But <laughs> but but all other areas are completely um, forgotten, and everybody is sort of walking on eggshells. And well, unless of course you want to make jokes of uh, left-wing style jokes. If you want to make jokes about Donald Trump. That's fine. You can make jokes yeah. about Boris Johnson. That's okay. Any Tory you can make fun of as long as he's not yeah. Rory, Rory yeah. Stewart. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, as you saw, you know, Joe Brand on the radio. Yes. If that, if that was some sort of, if that was Nigel Farage, for example, you wouldn't hear the end of it. Oh, of course. Uh, well, I, I actually it, tuned into that show the following week by mistake. I was in the car and yeah. some, I had Radio 4 on and Heresy came on and they were all making these very funny, as they thought, jokes about the royal family. And it was about as edgy yeah. as, as, you know, a piece of stale bread. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't edgy at all. It, it, that adds a point, but again, the royal family still are fair game in a sense because I mean the feeling is that you can say what you like about. Well, exactly. It. That's what I mean. It's not. It's yeah. not hard to make fun of the royal family. No, no and uh, I think they deserve it. Quite frankly, most of the time. Well, certainly, <laughs> yeah. certainly, uh, old Harry and Meghan do. But I bet Meghan, yeah, if you yeah. said anything to her untoward, I don't know if you've had the pleasure of meeting her, but I bet you, if you no. said anything to her, she would be grossly offended. Yeah, but in fact, um, uh, in, in, in uh, my hard castle column tomorrow, I was going to make a point that. Uh, uh, we have we have a very good royal contact who used to be a clergyman, mm. and he's come up with the fact saying that um, the 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 Book of Common Prayer um, actually warns against private private um, uh, christenings. Um, oh, is that right? The, the line is it said that um, they've arranged this um, <laughs> private christening in in Windsor, and um, you know everyone sort of pointed to the fact that you know they're looking for privacy, but in fact they, they don't mind the, the public paying for their house. Yes, but. Uh, the Book of Common Prayer says that christening shall not be performed, um, private christenings shall not be performed without great cause and necessity. And, you know, that, well, that's, um, they've obviously not been reading. I should know it off by heart myself, but um, <laughs> it's certainly... Um, well, I, I've, I was saying on the show yesterday, I quite like a go in that copper bath that they've got because I've never seen one before and I'd like to see, since I may have paid for it, and what it's like to actually sit in one because I'm never going to pay yeah. 5,000 quid for, for, for a bath. But what about, um, you know, aren't the old uh, Justin Welby coming out yesterday and saying that we should now have some kind of code of conduct from, all, from the almighty on, uh, on how to operate social media? You know, yeah. they've now got some yeah. digital code coming out of the Archbishop of Canterbury's offices. 
Well, again, he, he's uh, he's just trying to be right on going to Facebook. It's all very much. It's a touchy feely sort of almost a snowflake. Yes. To be, to be be in touch with that. And again, another interesting thing is is that um, he, he's sort of giving himself some great sort of kudos at the moment for um, uh, he's just promoted the first uh, sorry, the first uh, uh, black woman bishop. Ah, yes. Uh, uh, Rose Hudson Wilkins, who used to be, um, I think she was the speaker's chaplain. But uh, the point is that um, uh, you know they're all going on and it's fantastic. But in fact, she's she's only, she's the only the second black bishop concentrated, rather the first one since the Archbishop of York, John Santana. Yes. And also, she's been given a junior diocese of Dover, where she doesn't even get to be a member of the House of Lords. So it's all very well, sort of. Uh, well, exactly. I mean, the other, my other favourite one about him, I think it was him that said this, that he believes in climate change because his faith has told him. And so, as somebody pointed out, well, it's all very well saying that you believe in climate change because uh, the person that you believe to have created the world and who lives in the sky uh, has told you that there's climate change problems. You know, it's all, it's all getting a bit wrapped up in itself. It is a bit indeed, but again, it's 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 a bit it's a bit about positioning yourself. Everybody's doing these things because they want to be seen to be doing them, and also to look good in, in the media. Yes. Now I assume that the Daily Mail is revving itself up into to, to full high dudgeon to have a go at the BBC and their latest figures. I don't know if oh, you've seen indeed. Them. Well, even though Paul Dacre is, is is a long editor, but he's on the sixth floor, and I'm sure that there's sort of um, <laughs> somebody's going up there with a stick to drive it into his heart. <laughs> He'd be desperately keen. I mean, the BBC was his bet and wall. We, yes. we were hoping that he'd be appointed chairman of the BBC when he left. That would have been funny. They, they ignored him completely. Yeah. And what about the world of gossip these days? Because you famously ran the William Hickey column at the Express. You're now Ephraim Hardcastle in the uh, in the Mail. Um, is it difficult now to actually write a gossip column because of the way that well, people take well, offence so easily? Well, everything. I mean, first of all, you know, it, 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 we all thought after Diana um, died in that crash that that was the end of gossip because yeah. you couldn't really write about anything. But that, uh, you know, paparazzi were wiped out and the rest of it. But it's a different type of world now. The, the, the great tragedy of, of gossip, in a way, is that it used to be um, where you, you get crash parties and you, you, you're after the knobs, you're after... Now it's a completely PR-led exercise. You know, it's it's all you know. You go to something and it's all uh, uh, no access, all areas, and they're trying to promote a product. And there's no there's no real fun in having your window, your nose stuck to the window, trying to get into something. Yeah. It's all you know. If you if you write a nice thing about this, we give you that. And uh, uh, I mean, the gossip. I, I now do the hard castle column, which is more or less sort of taking pot shots at the media and taking pot shots at the family and trying to. To you know, be funny, but um, it's very, very hard to be funny in an age when every, everything <laughs> and everything know, gets taken so seriously. I mean, I long for the days when I used to sit uh, on of an afternoon in Daily Express office and get phoned by uh, Jamie Blandford, who was the Marquis of Blandford, now running yeah. uh, the the Churchill Foundation or something. Um, when he was when he was sort of smacked off his face and and uh, and, and drunk in the afternoon, and he would ring up and give me all sorts of great gossip about people that he knew. Yeah, and also people like Di Llewellyn. I mean, they were great characters. I mean, I remember having lunch with Di in Chelsea, which you always had to pay for, obviously. And he suddenly jumps up in the middle of lunch saying, oh, my God, I have to go. And he says, why, my secretary handcuffed in the bath? You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, that doesn't happen anymore. Maybe it does, but we don't you know. You just don't get to hear about it. No, absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a great shame, I'm afraid. But uh, maybe you should try and get a hold of Paxman and see whether um, um, he is, in fact, one of those who, who has now still got a sense of humour. I suspect well, you might find he hasn't. No, but again, a, a, a nice indication of the way the Paxful thing. Oops. In, uh, it was in a gallery in, in Kensington. Right. And I found up, and the publisher was at the door saying, no, uh, uh, there are no gossip columns or diarists allowed in. 
Mm. And um, it turned out that the, the way Helen Minsky um, gate crashed it, I mean, Helen looked like a, sort of a bag lady, but she always got into parties. She was fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely right. Well, John, listen, delightful to talk to you. We'll have to get together for a, uh, a libation one of these days. Do you still see uh, Peter Mackay or is he still knocking around anywhere? No, he's, he, he, he's on what to call a retainer, but he walked in today and, in fact, he was doing his expenses across the desk when you were talking to me. So, <laughs> uh, plus la change. Plus, uh, plus la change, as you say. Yeah, we'll give him my regards. John McEntee, the columnist on the Daily Mail, uh, talking about Jeremy Paxman and how basically difficult it is uh, to make fun of anybody uh, or to mock anybody uh, who isn't basically old or a pensioner because apparently the old and the pensionable are the only ones who will not take offence. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, I had some Twitter spat yesterday with some young whippersnapper uh, who claimed to be a Norwich City fan who was defending Glastonbury and defending the fact that, you know, oh, it's very green because they were recycling everything, right? And then he started abusing me, calling me a few nasty names, which I didn't mind, so I called him a few back, then accused me of bullying him um, and has now shut down his account and deleted all the tweets. <laughs> what a complete plank. 0344 499 is the number. Uh, we'll take your calls next. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent. Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, if you remember this song, uh, you are truly uh, one of those people that can be mocked because you're old. This is Kimono My House by Sparks, right? Uh, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. This was the name of the album. They were both dressed in kimonos on the front cover of an album. It turns out now um, that you can't do that anymore because Kim Kardashian decided to name a brand of hers kimono and she's now been told that she can't do it by the Japanese, not least Japanese government officials, right? because apparently it's cultural misappropriation. We're going to talk uh, to Nana Chempong from Fabulous Magazine in a moment. Before we do that, though, uh, let's just have a listen uh, to Boris Johnson, who is now up uh, answering questions about the Irish backstop in uh, Belfast. ...actually enact same-sex marriage in Northern Ireland. Well, I understand her, her feelings, and I, I, you know, and I, I was... Uh, I was... I voted years, years ago for for equal marriage and, and, and support it completely. But um, I, I think that the, the, the forum in which this issue should be debated and decided is the, is the government of, of Northern Ireland. Is, and that's, that's another reason to get it going. Get it going for economic reasons, but also to sort out these difficult political questions. And I don't think that uh, the UK government should be imposing something that should be decided here by the people of Northern Ireland. Do you think it's about time the Conservative Party organised properly in Northern Ireland? Well, I think this looks pretty proper to me. <laughs> I mean, you know, well, look at it. I think we got a... Well, he's still getting the laughs, I suppose, you, Boris, talking about the same-sex marriage issue with the uh, DUP. I mean, he was I mean, talking about the Irish backstop as well. We'll come back to that later on. Uh, let's talk now to Nana uh, Achimpong, uh, who's from Fabulous Magazine up in uh, uh, The Sun on Sunday. Uh, she's the shopping editor as well as the um, celebrity stylist. Nana, what is going on? Why can we not use kimonos anymore? Um, hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing? Welcome. Yeah, not bad, thank you, not bad. Uh, we can't use it anymore um, because, obviously, um, Japan are up in arms about this, which I think rightly so. Um, Kim is just using it because it's a word play 
on her name right. for a shapewear brand. Well, isn't that um, allowed anymore? I mean, Kim Kimono, it's not so terrible, is it? <laughs> um, no, it's not, but obviously it's such an iconic um, garment for them um, and her shapewear brand has nothing to do with a garment that already exists, which is the kimono. Um, so, yeah, they're really, really not happy about it. Mm. Yeah, but it is unusual that we get to these points, isn't it? I was just saying, I mean, you, you're probably way too young to remember an album called Kimono in My House by a band called Sparks. <laughs> but, you know, it's a picture of two guys dressed in kimonos on the front, co- front cover of the album. You know, yeah. and it was probably mid to late 70s or something like that when people were a lot more relaxed about this kind of thing. Is it, am I right in thinking that Carolina Herrera had a problem like like this with, with the Mexican uh, government? Yeah, because she, she used some kind of Mexican pattern, right? Yeah, she used a Mexican pattern for um, one of her cruise collections, which they also thought um, was cultural appropriation uh, for them. So I think it's a case of kind of not ripping off people's styles and right. not giving people not people giving people credit where credit is due. This is bad uh, news for people that want to use tartan, isn't it? I mean the Scots could go <laughs> absolutely uh, you know crazy. Yeah, no, they could go mental. But I think it's just a fine line between paying homage and ripping off other people's designs without giving people kind of kind of due credit. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't there be an argument, and I'm not making it necessarily, but you would say yeah. that people maybe who didn't know about such a thing as a kimono would suddenly have their eyes open to it by somebody like Kim Kardashian, who's a mass marketeer, and people in America who, as we know, are quite sort of um, suburban in their tastes yeah, and sometimes quite sheltered. Quite sheltered. They, you know, yeah. 60% of them still haven't got a passport, never mind go to Japan. They might yeah. not have known about a kimono and therefore it might have just kind of spurred them on somehow. Um, well, well you, that, there is an argument for that, but then also if Kim's using it as a kimono, they're going to then think that a kimono is shapewear um, and that's it, which is obviously incorrect. Yeah. So, so um, are there yeah. any sort of set rules written down? I mean, like if you're doing a photo shoot or something, do you have to yeah. be really careful about this kind of thing? Um, there are no set rules, but I think it's just being it's just being kind of aware of doing your research, essentially, which right. I think that's where the problem comes across is that a lot of designers and a lot of fashion houses don't necessarily have the time to research all of these collections that they want to put out. They right. just see a design and think, oh, yeah, that looks great. Um, let's go with that, rather than kind of looking in-depth into the heritage of things um, and then and then rolling with the collection. And isn't it interesting as well that we are in this kind of world now, which, particularly with so many different influences, that there are only, you know, there are certain things you can get away with, certain things you can't. I remember Bruno Mars was given a hard time uh, for sort of sampling some Latino music, at which point he then revealed that he was part Cuban. And because yeah. he was part Cuban, that was OK. I mean, then, presumably, then it's okay. presumably yeah, it's OK for wife. Jerry Halliwell to wear a Union Jack dress, but it's not OK <laughs> for Emmanuel Macron's wife to wear one. Yeah, no, I think that's the thing. It's whether you are kind of part, obviously, yeah, like you say, the he- where, where your heritage comes from and things and things like that. But at the same time, um, yeah, it's just whether you're pay- paying homage to things, paying homage to someone, or or just trying to rip off a whole yeah. a whole culture. Basically. Right. How do you tell the difference? Um, well, that that's the that's the question. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. That that's the argument. I guess it is it is all subjective. But when it comes to someone like Kim Kardashian, who, as you say, has this kind of mass appeal and such a wide audience that she's kind of putting her stuff out to, you have to be more aware in that case yeah. because. 
Do you think he's, um, do you think he's done her any harm, though? Say that again, sorry? Do you think he's done her any harm? Um, no, if anything, obviously, as they say, no, no press is, is bad press. It's, it's up to everyone now knows that she's launching a shapewear brand, which they would have known anyway, but now it's turned into this massive story. Um, so, yeah, if anything, it's, it's probably... Which, which of course, then begs, well. begs the question whether she did it deliberately. <laughs> well, that's when you start getting really, really cynical <laughs> about the situation. Oh, I, do, oh, I am very cynical about Kim Kardashian, <laughs> I have to say. I think a lot of people are. So, yeah, no, I, I believe that she had all intentions to call it kimono, but also was very kind of unaware that it would cause, like, such, such a big right. storm. Yeah. Extraordinary stuff. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and you don't have to answer it, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I was going to say, yeah. what have you got on your cover this week? Uh, what have we got on the cover of this? God, we shoot so far in advance, I can't even think. You probably do shoots a couple of weeks in advance, don't you? You probably yeah, forgot Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, we do. I could tell you last week that was um, Lucy Mech. Okay. Lovely, lovely polka dot, so I don't think that... Polka dots anyone. are okay, yeah, you can get away with that. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, well, listen, Nana, thank you very much indeed. Nana Achempong, the shopping editor, celebrity stylist at Fabulous Magazine, out every Sunday uh, with the sun on Sunday. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.